We're in the book of Joshua. And we're in the fifth chapter. And we are standing back in awe of um, this man. There are things that he's going to say to us today that are hard sometimes to grasp and hard to understand. It's tucked away within this place in Scripture. And it's a, it, it, it takes courage to take a look at it as God would have us. And it takes a, a, a trust that uh, we're going to take a good hard look at what Scripture is trying to teach us. What we saw in the book of Joshua here in the fifth chapter, we have seen that um, the children of Israel have crossed over the Jordan River. But what we see is there is, um, there is a pause upon them as they have all been called to be circumcised. They have all been called to receive their inheritance, God is giving them a blessing. The covenant that He has with them is done through the whole cycle of circumcision from, from one generation to the next. You and I have been circumcised, the Bible says, within our hearts once we trust and believe in Jesus Christ. Therefore, all the blessings have been given to us, have been poured out upon our lives. I want to speak today, as I believe that Joshua might have been thinking, of how the church has um, failed to incorporate these blessings into our lives and why. Read with me, please, in Joshua, in the fifth chapter, read with me from verses 10 through verse 15. And then I pray that God will allow us to stand back in awe at His Word and see what it means to each of us as we walk with Christ. It says in verse 10, While the sons of Israel camped at Gilgal, they observed the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the month on the desert plains of Jericho. And on the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. Verse 12 tells us the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten some of the produce of the land so that the sons of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate some of the, of the yield of the land of Canaan during that year. Now, something very interesting takes place. Verse 13, 14, and 15. Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold... A man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? Note what he says. And he said, No, rather I indeed come now as captain of the hosts of the Lord. Joshua fell down on his face to the earth, bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. Joshua did so. It's really interesting. If you can imagine it all, before we go to prayer, if you can imagine it all, what must have been going through Joshua's mind. The people are now healing from the circumcision, they are obedient to the Lord to be circumcised. The covenant of God's blessings 
now is poured out upon His people, they were now able to have Passover. They had Passover because everyone had to be circumcised to have Passover. As soon as they had Passover, though, the manna stopped. The manna had been supplying them food for 40 years. All of a sudden now it's stopped. Manna, if you take a look at it closely at all, is so perfect. I mean, they had no refrigeration. They had no way of storing or keeping food. Manna fell from heaven every day, fed them for 40 years. Now it stopped the day after Passover. And now God is going to supply them the fruit of the land which they were going to take care of. His blessings was going to pour out upon them. And so Joshua, walking around Gilgal and by Jericho, is probably, if you're thinking at all, if you can imagine, here's this warrior, and if you can think with him at all, he must be looking at this city that is so fortified, Jericho, and he's probably thinking, how many ladders are we going to have to build to scale the walls? How can we attack and have enough people get over the walls so as to open the gates? Or how are we going to ram through the gates so as to attack this land? And so he's walking around probably thinking, how? How am I going to do this? And then the courage of him to see a man in the distance, he's in enemy's territory, to see a man in the distance with his sword drawn, looking at him. And to Joshua's credit, he walks towards him and says, you for us or against us? If you'll note here, Jesus, this is Jesus, by the way, we're going to show you that in a moment. Our Lord says to him, no, 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 I'm the captain of the hosts of the Lord. Didn't say whether he was for him or against him. Interestingly to me, our Lord doesn't take a side. What he does is allow you and me to say whether we'll follow him or not. Are we willing to follow the captain of the hosts of the armies of the Lord? That's what he said to Joshua. And if you noted in verse 14, Joshua immediately fell to the ground, bowed before him, and said, what are my marching orders? He didn't use those words, did he? But he says in verse 14, what has my Lord to say to me? What do you want me to do? And as we're going to see next week, the Lord has Joshua and the people of Israel walk around Jericho. Not, not uttering a word, not saying anything. And the battle is, we learn, the Lord's. The plan is the Lord's. It's not ours. What we need to do is prepare our hearts in obedience to the Lord so as to be able to hear His voice, so we'll be able to receive His covenant, His blessings. You see, as Israel crossed Let's pray. Father, please, would you open up our eyes and our hearts and our minds and our thoughts that we might behold wonderful things from your word. Father, would you please move me aside?
Please, dear Father, let us see what is written within your pages. Let us hear from your heart so that we might know that you, you, dear Lord, are speaking to each of us individually. There's no way that any pastor could try to figure out what is the need of the moment. The only thing we can try to do is to sense what you are saying and allow you to speak to each of us individually where there is need, where there needs to be comfort or conviction or just caring. We leave that to you. All we try to do, Father, to the best of our ability is to to look at your word and to see what it says to each of us. And so, Father, would you please bless us? Bless every, every person here, please. In Jesus' most precious name, I pray. Amen. Israel crossed the Jordan River. Okay, we, we, we saw that. Maybe two, three weeks now, we've already seen that. But what we've come to realize is symbolically, you and I have crossed the river too. We are now, as believers in Jesus Christ, living in our new inheritance, our new blessings. But Scripture warns us, just as Scripture warned them, not to go back over the Jordan River, not to return back to Egypt. Egypt was a type of an old lifestyle. And so you and I are warned not to go back to our old lifestyle as believers in Jesus Christ. Rather, we have been asked to do what might seem to be to some a very difficult thing, and that is we have been asked to die to ourselves and to live for Christ. That's basically the message today. God satisfies you and me with His inheritance, His blessings poured out upon us. I've said to you before that Joshua and Ephesians are kind of co. You can fit some of it together. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed you and me, blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. That's our inheritance today. That's our blessings. God desires to bless you and me just as He desired to bless Israel in the new promised land. But now what we see is Joshua coming face to face with the captain of the hosts of the Lord. Now Joshua knew what Moses told him. Moses told him that Moses said this in Exodus 33:15. You don't need to turn there. Listen. Moses said to God, "If your presence does not go with us, don't bring us up from there." How many times have you not maybe made that same prayer? I have in my life, God, I am not sure of what I'm hoping to do here. I'm not positive, Father, that everything is as it should be. If it is wrong, dear Father, stop me from doing this. If it is not you that I am following, stop me. Let me not go apart from your presence wherever I may go. Let me walk with you. So Joshua held on to the promise that God would be here with him, just as Lawrence so beautifully sang to us, just as 
Moses told him, Joshua 1.5 again, no man who's going to be able to stand before you, Joshua, all the days of your life. God says, just as I have been with Moses, Joshua, I'm going to be with you. I will not fail you. I will not forsake you. Folks, that is our promise in the New Testament. We can hold on to that blessing, that inheritance that we have from our Lord. And so God reaffirms that promise to Joshua. And like Moses, Joshua is now going to refuse to move until he is sure that God is with him. Just as he said in verse 14, once he came, he said, Are you for us or are you with our adversaries? Which one? I'm not sure. And the Lord says, No, I am the captain of the host of the Lord, to which Joshua bowed down before him, fell on his face before him, and said, Basically, my Lord, what do you say to your servant? What am I to do? Imagine, imagine the encouragement that, 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 that must have flown, flowed. Uh, um, you pick a word. Imagine what must have gone through Joshua when he realized that he was not alone, that he found a man with his sword drawn who was the captain of the hosts of the Lord. You've got to appreciate the courage of Joshua when he confronted this stranger, wanting to know whose side are you on. I mean, some of us, most of us, would have seen somebody out in the field with his sword drawn, and we would have gone back to camp. Not Josh. Joshua walks towards him and says, Whose side? You see, that was the, that was, that was the whole... That was the whole of Joshua, his whole life. No telling when we're going to get there. Look at the 24th chapter. No telling. You'll forget it by the time we get there. So let's look at it now. Chapter 24. Look at verse 15. It's one of the great verses in all of Scripture. It is a statement that I'm sure you have made over and over again. Joshua looked at the people of Israel and he said, look, verse 15 of chapter 24, if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, he says these words, choose for yourselves today whom you'll serve. Whether it be the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land we are now living, And then he makes this statement. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. How many of you have made that statement? How many of you gathered together with your children, your family, and made the statement, let's choose today whom we're going to serve. But for us, today, we're going to serve the Lord. That's what I pray for us as a church. That's what I pray is the echoing cry of you and me and all who choose to come here to worship the Lord together. When Joshua discovered the visitor was the Lord, he fell at his feet and he worshipped him and he waited for his orders, as verse 14 tells, verse 14 tells us. Joshua knew innately what you and I now know in the New Testament, in John chapter 15, verse 5. 
Jesus Christ looked at the people and said, Apart from me, you can do what? Nishta. That's what my mom used to say. Creation word for nothing. Nishta. Slako malo. My sweet little one. Nishta. Can I have any cookies? Slako malo nishta. Not now. Not now. Apart from me, Jesus says, you and I can do nothing. And so Joshua understood that, that principle. He is speaking to the captain of the Lord of hosts. It's a title for God in the Old Testament. It's one of the incarnate appearances of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. There are, there are a few. I'm going to point out a couple, but what I'd like for you to do with me right now is turn to Daniel. Hold your place here, and I want you to turn to one of the most wonderful places of the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ that you'll ever see. Daniel is um, kind of, if you go to the middle of the Old Testament, you'll go to the book of Psalms, correct? And then there's Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, you keep moving to the right, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Lamentations, Ezekiel, um, and then you'll find Daniel. And Ezekiel is kind of a large book, so you, you'll find Daniel comes right after Ezekiel. But some of the appearances of Jesus Christ was in, in Genesis, for instance, the 18th chapter. Abraham saw the Lord come into his camp with two other people. And he, he begged them to sit down and have a bite to eat. And the Lord said he would. And so he, he shouts to Sarah, Sarah, make some make something for the Lord. And then he went and got a fattened calf and he, he killed it and prepared a meal for the Lord. And the Lord said to, to Abraham, I'm going to come back here in a year and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a child. Sarah overheard that while she was cooking and she laughed. You know, we're too old. <laughs> we're too old. And the Lord says, did I hear your wife laugh? <laughs> And sure enough, a year later, he came back and they gave birth to Isaac. In the 32nd chapter of the, the book of Genesis, our Lord wrestles with Jacob. He wrestles him into submission. But the most famous of all the places that I, I, I find of the pre-incarnate Christ happens under the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar. You're in the third chapter of the book of Daniel there were certain Chaldeans, verse 8. At that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, King, live forever. And they said in verse 12, There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Though, verse 13, Nebuchadnezzar became enraged. And he gave orders, bring Shadrach, bring Meshach, bring Abednego to me. When they did, in verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true? Is it true, Shadrach? Is it true, Meshach? Is it true, Abednego, that you do not serve my gods? Or you do not worship the golden image that I've set up? Huh. What I'm going to do is give you a chance. Verse 15 says, When you hear the sound of the music, I want you to fall down and worship. If you do not, it says in the middle of verse 15, you will immediately be cast into the midst of the furnace of 
the blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hand? You better worship my God or you're dead. Shadrach, verse 16 and 17 and 18. I love these verses. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't take long to answer the king, did they? They already knew. There was no doubt in their mind who they were going to worship. And so in verse 16 it says, They said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer concerning this, but if we do, verse 17, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. He's going to deliver us out of your hand, king. And, verse 18, for all of those who want to have this name it and claim it stuff, this by enough faith you can do anything. No, they, they, they knew. They knew that the will of God would, would check anything they had. All they knew is they wanted to be obedient to their God. And so they say in verse 18, but even if he doesn't, let it be known to you, O king, that we're not going to serve your gods. We're not going to worship the golden image that you set up. So, verse 19 tells us, Nebuchadnezzar was so filled with wrath that his expression was altered. And he told the men, oh, I want you to heat up the furnace seven times hotter than it usually is heated. And then he commanded, verse 20, certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and ordered them to be cast into the furnace of the blazing fire. Then these men were tied up in their trousers, in their coats, in their caps, in their other clothes, and they were cast into the midst of the furnace. The furnace, it says in verse 22, was so hot, made so hot, that the flame slew those men who carried Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up into the furnace to throw them in. They died immediately. Verse 24, Nebuchadnezzar looks into the fire and he said to those around him, his high officials, he says in the middle of verse 24, was there not three men that we cast bound into the midst of the fire? Yep, they said we did, three of them. Oops, look, look, he says in verse 25, I see four men in there. They're all loose. They're walking about in the midst of the fire without arms. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. And then Nebuchadnezzar calls them out. You know, it's really interesting. He calls them out. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out. And there's not, it says in there, there's not even a scent of fire on them. Not a hair on their head was singed. Uh, their clothes is still on them. You know the only thing that burnt off? What? The rope. The only thing that burned off was the ropes that held them. Jesus Christ came to them in their most amazing crisis and walked them through. And all He did was burn away those things that were holding them back, the ropes. Joshua, back in Joshua chapter 5, meets this same God the captain of the Lord's army. And the reason he met him, make it clear in your mind, was to reassure Joshua that he was the captain. He is the leader, not Joshua. He makes Joshua the promise that he will see him through the battles. You see, the Lord makes it clear to all of us, that the battle is not ours. It is His. 
As he says in Joshua 1.5, just as I was with Moses, Joshua, I'm going to be with you. Just as I've been with Joshua, you can put your name in there. I will not fail you, nor will I forsake you. In 2 Chronicles 20.15, amongst other places, the Bible says, Do not fear, do not be dismayed because of this great multitude. Don't be afraid of all of these people that are surrounding you. The battle's not yours, it says in 2 Chronicles 20.15. The battle is mine, says God. And so in verses 13, 14, and 15, we see the call and the commission of Joshua. It was the same call that came to Moses on the plains of Midian. It was what he heard at the burning bush. When he walked up to the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 5, God said to Moses, Whoa, don't come near. Remove the sandals from your feet because the place that you are standing is holy ground. The Lord's first order to Joshua is to reveal to Joshua that he was standing on holy ground. Watch this now. Joshua was standing in heathen's territory. He was standing at the outskirts of Jericho. And yet God says to Joshua, because I am here, Joshua, you're standing on holy ground. The lesson is clear, folks. It is clear. If you and I are obeying the will of God, no matter where we stand, if He is leading us, we will be on holy ground. I mean, I'm sure that you've experienced this. In... in, you can be in the most worst of working environments where people language is, you know, just coarse. And yet you can stand apart from all of that. I, I've, I've not been a... Um, I worked construction once, yeah, when I was in college. But I've not been in the service. But I've been in a locker room. And I've heard language that you wouldn't believe. And we'd go through and, and, and we'd have chapel. And sometimes I'd walk through the locker room where the guys are telling raunchy stories. And, and in time, they'd see me coming and they'd go, oh, oh, wait, you know, let, let John go through. And I'd say to them, what's the big deal about me? Tell you a story. Because when I walk through, our Lord's still going to be here. You're going to have to deal with that. But all of a sudden, because of what you and I might stand for in the area where we work, all of a sudden, it's like holy ground. It's like holy ground. The main lesson of Joshua 5 is, is this. Listen. You and I must be spiritually prepared people if we are going to do the Lord's work, if we are going to glorify His name, what happened to Israel, instead of rushing them into battle, the Lord God took time to make them holy, to have His covenant with them, His blessings with them, for them to stand with Him in obedience on holy ground. Same thing He does for you and me. He allows you and me, no matter where we are, to be standing on holy ground if, if, folks, we are willing to cleanse ourselves, if, folks, we are willing to walk 
in obedience with Him. If we are holding on to the blessings that God has given us by circumcising our hearts. Watch this now. Previously, we found the people of Israel on the banks of the Jordan, not moving. No, they were circumcised because the Lord was preparing them. He was preparing them for battle, yes, but He was also preparing them to live out their lives spiritually before Him, to live under His covenant, under His blessings. And they first had to be circumcised, just as you and I have to first come and walk with Christ. Gilgal, Gilgal becomes the key that you and I can kind of separate ourselves to or from, depending upon our own desire to walk with the Lord. Gilgal, in the lives of the Jews, was symbolically a key for us as well. Gilgal became a place of testing, if I may, a place of death. They walked from the other side of the Jordan River, they parted the sea, the Jordan River, I should say, and they walked on dry ground. That was a symbol of their dying. And they came to the other side, the promised land, where they would, where they would inherit their blessings in that land. The lessons are to be learned here that sometimes are hard to understand or hard to incorporate within our lives. You see, before there was the day of Pentecost, you remember the day of Pentecost when, 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 when Peter preached and, and was it three or 5,000 people? I keep, there was both. It mentions sometimes both figures, but there was at least 3,000 people that came to Christ and so the church was formed in Jerusalem. Before that day of revival, before the day of Pentecost, there was the cross at Calvary. There was death before there was life. You see, before there can be a blessing in your life and in my life that comes from the throne of God, there has to be death, death to ourselves. Jesus clearly says in John 12:24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and what? And dies, unless that dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, Jesus Christ says, it will bear much fruit. There has to be death in your life and my life to receive the blessings that God wants to pour out upon us. Listen, I'm, I'm not naive. I know, I know that some will say, is it worth the trials? Before our will can be accomplished, we've got to die to ourselves. Is it worth the cost that I have to go through? Is there not an easier way for me to walk? Can I just muddle through this faith of mine without paying such a great price? Do I have to be so real with God? I mean, I live in the world. Do I have to go that far? Do I have to die to myself? You want the truth to that question? If you're asking it at all? Yeah, you can. You don't have to. It's very possible to live a Christian life without being so hardcore. I have seen so many so-called Christians that I, I can't count them anymore. Myriads of, of, of these so-called Christians walking around today living a second-class existence with Christ. In fact, in my opinion, 
This is partially why the church and Christians, if you want to call them that, are so incapable of marching against the forces of evil that exist within our society today. And we are fighting a battle. If you don't see it, I don't know where you're looking. You and I have all the blessings of God at our disposal, and yet so many believers today are begging bread like we're paupers. I ask you, is Ephesians 1, 3 true or not? Are we truly blessed with every spiritual blessings or not? The only answer I can figure out is I serve the Lord with all my heart and serve you as well is this. There are far, far too many so-called Christians, carnal believers who are walking around who are second-class citizens afraid to die to themselves and have found out, I don't have to. I don't have to. This is all right. I can simply exist as a carnal Christian, not living the blessed Christian life. I I can keep one toe in the water of secularism and one toe in the water of my faith. I'm all right. I'll just dress up nice on Sunday. Who's to know the difference? Showered. I'm all right. I want to ask you, though, If that's a desire in your heart, who suffers when you or I live like this? I'll tell you who suffers. You do. I'll tell you who else suffers. The church. I'll tell you who else suffers. Your family. Your marriage. The work where you're at. Our nation, which is a nation under God. And everyone else that we come in contact with. You see, you and I are supposed to be the light of this world in this darkened age in which we live, and it is getting dark. Dark. This is why the church today, I, I believe, and believers are so incapable of matching the challenge of this desperate time. For goodness sake, we should be pouring out all the heavenly responses and resources that are at our disposal, but we can't because we don't even have them for our own selves. Want to know something? Only people who are filled with the Spirit of God, who are on fire with His passion and His might, who are willing to die to themselves and live a Spirit-filled life, could ever match the challenge of this age and Satan, who is behind it all, Satan's beating the heck out of us. He's beating us up pretty bad. Who do you suppose wishes to kill off as many children as he can before they're born? Who do you suppose would wish to destroy God's blessings upon marriages, upon our businesses, our integrity, our character, our churches, our children? Is it us as believers? Or is it the evil one who is at work within those of us who claim to walk with Jesus Christ but to decide to take the easy way out? And so we don't die to ourselves and we keep our toes in the water of secularism and our toes in the water of faith. And what takes place? We lose. We lose. I want to ask you a question as I close. Are you going to vote next week or not? Do you think that your vote won't make a difference? You're going to give to the church or not in spite of these tough times? Or do you think that you're giving 
won't be missed because there isn't that much anymore in any ways. You need it more than God does. He's got all the cows. Let me have a little bit. Are you willing to die to yourself to see the hand of God work within your life, within your church, within your family, within our nation? I agree with Joshua. I agree wholeheartedly with Joshua. I am here to say to you, choose for yourselves today who you're going to serve. But for me, you don't have to guess. If you come back here next week, you don't have to guess. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm sold out. For me and my house, I'm going to follow Him. I'm going to do what is very difficult, and that is try to die to myself every day and live for Christ. It's not easy. It's not easy. We need each other. Joshua said it right. And I say it for myself, and I pray I say it for you, for me, and this, our church. We're going to serve the Lord as we can.